This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Munchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. We are, we are um, heading into a new month. This new month is the 13th month of the year in the Hebrew calendar. So there's various opinions about what type of energy a 13th month has. And the first opinion is that it has all the same astrological energies as the month before. It's essentially a mirror, so it's a it's more expanded version, a deeper version of the energy before. And the second opinion is, is it transcends any sign or energy. Like the signs or energy are below the month. They're not above it. They're not inspiring it. They are, you can tap into it if you'd like, but reality is they're not really a thing. And I thought about that a lot because my birthdays always comes out in the second one. When it's a leap year, we celebrate Purim the second, the 13th month. There's also an argument about that that ties in with the same opinions, right? Like, should we celebrate Purim the first month because that's the month of Purim, or should we do it in the additional month? Um, there's a lot of beautiful halachic concepts around this. For example, let's say a person is cooking a pot of kosher chalant, you know, beautiful kosher stew, and they walk by with their latte and a bit of their latte spills into the, st- into the stew and they're looking over and Jews don't eat milk and meat together. So what would be the law? Does that ruin the pot of stew? And the answer is, is there's something called nullified in 60. That means that if there's 60 parts to one, of one to the other, it's as if it doesn't exist. It doesn't affect it at all. So the mystics would say that when we have these two months of Adar, we have 60 days. So whatever energy we can really take with us these 60 days, it has the power to obliterate the negativity that otherwise is associated with it. Because everything in this world has a negative association. And that is when we stop seeing what's inspiring the, the said moment, or what is the cause to the reality? When we live in reality, the Jewish way is to say a cause because cause ultimately is going to end up being another name for God. And in Maimonides calls it Matsui Rishon, the first cause. Or the, so this concept of a cause to reality is a deep way to explain anything of spiritual uh, nature and mystical nature, but more importantly, to explain a lot of what we deal with spiritually. It's like, what is the cause to this ailment? And how do we find that the cause is true is when we find the cause that's positive and optimistic. Because if something negative is causing what you're going through, then it's not the ultimate cause. It's something that hijacked that stage and has taken over the space that should be affecting you. Because think about everything new or any moment or anything you're going through is essentially being caused by something. But everything is being caused by the power of growth, of creation, that it's constantly able to expand and grow. So if everything is really part of this expansion and growth, so if something negative is causing you, it means it's not the ultimate cause. It's just something that has come up that could be rooted out, could be developed, could be harnessed, could be pushed away, depending on what it is and how severe it is. So this idea that in this month, the negativity that could come along with, I want to celebrate Purim, and somebody walks by and is like, why is that person celebrating? The negativity doesn't hold on to that. Or you're very happy because you're trying to stimulate your life with joy, and the world is trying to tear the joy out of your heart, you know? Well, that negativity can't fully attach itself because we're in Adar, and this month has the ability to what we'll call nullify the negativity or elevate yourself from it and separate yourself from that challenge through joy. That's the 60-day concept. And a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, to do with Pisces, as I'll get to in a second. But this idea that I think about, and I talk to my kids a lot about it, like what is the cause to the reality? And at some point, you have to get all the way to the origin of all causes. And then you could see the backbone to what's happening in your life. What do you mean? Can, can you do a thought experiment, like a conversation you had like recently with one of your kids when they were like, what's the cause? 
So my son um, was uh, in his afternoon class was really bored and he didn't want to study. <laughs> and, the, and, and the teacher was like, you could study whatever you want. And, and he came to, he's like, what should I study? I could stutter whatever I want. I said, well, you should study whatever you want. What do you want to study? Let's start with that. He's like, ah, I don't know. I can't pick. I said, well, what about the idea that uh, you have to find a new language when it comes to God? You need a new language when it comes to God. Why? Because uh, if you're a religious school or you grow up in a religious home, your version of God is going to be this one that is just fits into the home and school. But what about your own language? How do you yourself find out what God is in your own life? That's something that you have to study. So he said, but when I study it, it's so removed from me that like, I, I don't know what to make of it. Like, what am I, what am I supposed to do with it? I said, well, just think about it very small first. Start a very, very small. What is the cause to you waking up in the morning? You're going to say, well, it's biological. I, I woke up. Or you could say that just like you were born and just like you didn't exist and then you exist, when you wake up, it's bound to your consciousness. There is a narrative that you're uh, a combination of energies of a mother and father and you're just a biological construct and your consciousness awakens after the body is there. But there's another narrative where you are you and your consciousness is you without this body because you don't even think of yourself in terms of a body. Your body doesn't even reflect your essence. It reflects other people's uh, uh, issues more sometimes. You have to learn how to develop your own body to be in tune with your own things. You can't do that without a cause. What is the cause to my, mo to my anger or to my joy, to my emotions and to my thing? Each and every time you find the cause, that's what God is in the moment. That's what it is. And you grow from there. So that's my 15-year-old. That's some pretty heady stuff. Damn, I wish you were my dad, parrots. Like, <laughs> like lucky, your son's lucky he gets to have those conversations with you. Oh, I appreciate that. But I feel I'm lucky that I have this kid who's even willing to talk to me about this stuff. You know, it's like, I don't think at 15, that's what I was asking my dad. It comes down to his openness as well. But yeah, this is the but this is the stuff that excites me overall. This is like my personal where my personal learning meets meets my life and my parenting. So yes, and so can I? Do you mind if I ask you another question? I know you Go have a it. whole thing to talk about, but this is just no, no, like, no. You 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 guide me. So this is like a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. You know, he always uses the question, "What's your?" He's he's Jewish actually, but he's not religious, but he's spiritual. But anyway, um. He's Jew, very Jewish in that he questions and here we are, right? He's always, he's always asking me, like when I come to him and I'm confused or something, he's like, well, the question that frames your issue or the question that can help you make sense of what's going on is what is my life curriculum right now? What is my life curriculum? What am I supposed to be learning? And often the signs are everywhere. You know, I'm supposed to be learning patience or I'm supposed to be learning better decision-making or, you know, whatever it is. And it's usually like comes in clusters, right? Things tend to sort of have the same flavor for some in, in periods of time. I'm wondering if in when you're talking about your son and when you wake up and some of it's biological and you could get you could zoom out in that Piscean way and just think about consciousness and you're one of one with consciousness and, and all of that. I'm just wondering how, how do we, how do we contextualize things that seemingly have no meaning for us, like war or, you know, disease or, you know, something really terrible that, you know, seems arbitrary. Well, the first thing is, and that comes to mind is, as you and your friend are having this conversation, it's already a refined conversation, right? You're not, you're not having, a, you're not just like throwing spirituality and mysticism under the bus when you have these conversations. You're saying like, no, we need this type of spiritual talk in order to work through because almost like mundane issues are really esoteric issues. And, and, and by that means there's like this concealed nature 
to these ideas, uh, to these to these issues and these problems and these outside forces, if there wasn't a concealed nature to them, then you would have answers for them, right? Like um, uh, the simple example is if somebody has a heart attack and somebody says, well, you know, their heart failed. And, and you're like, actually, I'm so sad they are, that person is my relative or something. You know, there's the personal relationship that's affected by, by sickness. And I think the answer is to not let it be arbitrary and to make it intentional. And, and when things are intentional in your own life, like, okay, uh, right, right before you got on, uh, Roman was like saying, you know, the war, you know, this, these things come to mind, like they come to mind because we don't want war. And the only way for us to deal with this is to not make it about Russia and Ukraine, but to make it about war. Like guys, are we, are we an anti-war generation? And I think there's a lot of virtue to that. And the same as when it comes to come to comes to sickness and comes to these ideas, we're supposed to be like, guys, we are an abundant, resource-filled generation. We're supposed to fix these things. This is what we're about. And and that type of mindset is is to me um, unique for our generation to have this like incredible mindset. To to and, and I think our our villain is the indifference, is the arbitrary nature of things to make it removed from our from our personal being. Um, you know, how many people are just like the pandemic as it as it went on, we're just like, okay, I, I know I'm not affected by it, so it's not a thing anymore. And it's like, well, kind of like, you know, you're missing the point of this experience for the human beings. We're supposed to be like more gratitude, uh, more more connection to others, more checking in to see how people are doing mentally, uh, seeing mental health as not an issue, but but a problem of our time, something beautiful to solve together. Um, so many, so many forms of ancestral trauma showing up as you sit home for for months on end that you need to all of a sudden like confront. These things can only be healed when we start at acting and thinking intentionally. And the way, the same way we engage with the outside world and, and what we what we take pleasure in and what we enjoy or what gets visceral reactions out of us, uh, we need to start learning that those are because we have something that we can contribute to this, whether it's conversation or an action, there's a form of it. And the same way it's removed from you, there are there are powers that you have that you can let loose into the world. Um, uh, mysticism talks about the difference between thought and speech, that after you speak, um, it's removed from you. So it, it separates itself from you. Whereas your thoughts are never separate from you. They're always one with you. And because your thoughts are one with you, you can mistake your thoughts for being you. And because your speech is separate from you, you could mistake your speech for, don't take that personal. I just, you know, I didn't mean it. And because it feels separate. When in reality, we have to switch those around. Because the thoughts are one with us, we need to learn to identify which thoughts are not our own and are being attached to us. And because speech is separate from us, and once we say it, it's not ours anymore, we have to learn to value every single word that comes out. Mm -hmm. So it really is, is this, um, um, like, to me, the, the key word you said is, like, arbitrary. Like, as in, like, stop, st stop um, creating... Uh, choice around this and create more just intentional actions and steps in your life around the speech of these topics, around these ideas. I felt like so much of social media has become us passing around, you know, what's in vogue. Like we need, we need some thought leaders and some speech leaders, but not out there in here. We have to become thought and speech leaders uh, whenever we feel like there is an issue. And, uh, and this is, this is to me, um, uh, I, this is without getting into the topic of why do bad things happen to good people and why is there evil in the world? Because I think that's a, a, a rangier subject uh, for, for some other things. But, but the first thing I would just say to keep it on, on our level tonight is the intentionality necessary for, for, for creating an effect in any direction and, and snowballing some, some better and bigger ideas. And uh, I don't know the future, so we don't we don't know what's going to happen, you know, in the world. And uh, and I think people have fears that this can turn into a World War Three. But I think the bigger the bigger fear is for people to not learn lessons from 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 the types forget history from from themselves of what they don't like, and make sure that they're going to become guardians of their own world. And like, if the world's turning upside down, I'm going to stay strong and true to who I think I'm supposed to be and be that person. I'm not going to let the cynicism and the concealment of these things force me in a direction that is not who I am. And that's going to be hard. 
Thank you. Romy. Yes. What is the first uh, idea that comes to your mind with love? And I'll tell you why I want to know in a second. But what's the first idea that comes with love? Um, these days, it's just like an unconditional kind of love. Um, Selflessness, right? Like that's, yeah. that's what you're saying? Yeah, selflessness. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like receiving and giving and it's like a, like just a... Yeah, Sorry, when I when I when I when I was saying earlier expansion, and I was saying that like you know like expanding yourself and your mind and creating intention, these ideas, ultimately these are ideas of love, because love is the is the attribute as it relates to what comes what expands from you and what comes out to to, to the outside world, like loving yourself is beautiful and important but it's not as strong as having somebody else to love and having something to love. Those are much more powerful um, features of love. So there's the loving yourself and then there's the love that you are, like somebody who can love selflessly, but if they don't love themselves, it could be a real struggle to mm -hmm. reach to reach their heights in their love. And and I, I mentioned this because in, in in Adar or this Pisces, this this esoteric mind or, or expansion, always has to consider, even when the world is tight and struggling, ultimately the reason why we don't want war is because we believe that we can love one another. And we can expand ourselves to be, see humanity as, as an engine of, of beauty. And we could see the world as a as a garden instead of a jungle. And all of these beautiful ideas that get suppressed by the darkness of fighting and and uh, control and all the government issues that we think we face on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is something that is very much part of this month's tradition. And in, in the history of this month, the Jewish people faced the Purim story, which was to kill all Jewish people. And at the time, Jewish people had an option. The option was that they could choose to not be Jewish. There was no written rule before the Purim story that happened in this month, whether or not a person could like, if they raised their hand, I'm not Jewish anymore. Okay, you're in, you're out of it. Because ultimately Judaism wasn't really a race, right? There were different, they, they came from different tribes and had different, different literally uh, uh, racial features. So saying that I'm Jewish was like, oh, that's the, uh, the attached philosophy that I subscribe to. They had the ability to walk out on Judaism. And the miracle of Purim, that story, the real miracle of Purim, isn't that we didn't get killed. The real miracle is that it took 10 years for the story to happen and no Jew raised their hand and said, I'm opting out. It's a pretty incredible concept. Everybody stayed into it. And the only reason that could happen is because they reached a high level of love for who they are and for the people in their life and for being in this journey on earth. And that's the type of love I, I thought would be worth talking about. Like maybe you could, you know, create a spark of optimism in 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 uh, times that are strange. Certainly in times of concealment. So to me, um, love is this expansive narrative. It's about expansion. It's about what comes outside of you, how you interact with it. Maybe that's why it's the most spiritual of our emotions, in that sense. So that the way to sum this up is love is a spectrum of giving. That's what love is. The first giving is the healing you do for yourself. That's love. It's a form of healing for yourself. The next form of love is actual giving, giving to something else, giving to somebody else. And then there's the greatest love, and that is when you would give up your life, everything for the other person or for the, 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 the object of this great love. And this spectrum of love, which has many more nuances, is something to think about specifically at this time. In, in the Torah reading last week, it narrates the story of the Jews right when they left Egypt. They essentially faced the moment without Moses. And in that moment, they panicked and said, let's just go back to worshiping um, deities and spirituality the way they did it in Egypt. It seemed to work for them. Let's go there. And 
they could not take in <clears throat> this non-anthropomorphic God, this unseen ethereal energy that is a force behind everything. They weren't conditioned yet to feel this type of direct love. So in return, they, they could not reciprocate that love. And Moses comes down and he speaks to God and he says, how did these people find their way back? And God says to give a half a shekel, to give a half a coin. Everybody should donate a half a coin. And the mystics say that this half a coin, in Hebrew called, called the shekel of kesef, kesef is a, is a word for silver, but it's also a word for love. And they equate silver and love together with the idea being that silver is, is, uh, is, is the nicest and most beautiful thing that's readily available for the most amount of people. Gold, there's a lot less gold. Diamonds, it's a lot less of something. But silver is a more um, available um, ornament of beauty that has more sustainability to it. And therefore, it has a more, it's more symbolic of love because if love was just gold or love was just something that's elusive, then not everybody would be able to have this incredible experience of, of love. But because it's silver, silver represents everybody has the ability to have that type of ornamental love in their life. So it's not the highest level, but it's a very important level. But the idea being that the way to find redemption was through love. That was the way to find redemption. How does one find love through redemption? There are people today that are abusive in relationships, but at the same time, they say they love their partner. So without judgment on our part, if they're loving them or not, what does it mean? It means that their love is false. They actually don't love their partner because if they loved their partner, they would see the reflection of who they are there. They would see how who they are is causing harm to the other person. That's, what that's when love you know is working is when you can identify that you're hurting the person you love with or you're uplifting them, which hopefully we should be learning from that and not from the negative side to it. On the, uh, even though on the one hand, we have the stress of like making sense of the concealment and the, and the challenging times, we have to at the same time activate what the season is telling us. And the season is telling us to think about our love and how historically during this time, us Jewish people found our way back to who we were through this giving of love, through this giving this silver coin representing the love that I have to give. This is, uh, this is to me, hitting this. How does this align with what's happening with you guys? Well, the things that came to mind when you were talking about love are twofold. The first is when uh, I've had experiences uh, either channeling or channeling for clients of uh, people's spirit guides. Sometimes they're ancestors, but like etheric beings. And the love that comes down from them is at times so, I don't like this word, but here we are, so pure that the person, and, and I have had experience of this personally, are confronted. They're like, they're, they're, it's actually too much because it's truly unconditional love. There's no caveat. The, the, there's, you know, doesn't need, the spirit doesn't need anything from them. It's this hugely altruistic and lo giving love, almost love is like a life force. And, and sometimes they get confronted, they get challenged, like, I don't know what to do, or wait, you mean I don't need to do anything, or I don't owe them anything. It's very, it like crosses the wires of how we've been taught um, in, you know, Western society and capitalism of what love is, you know? So that's like the first thing that came up when, when you were talking about giving, you know, and thinking about how like, it's a lot, it's difficult for humans to give freely, to give love freely, because, because generally our relationships are transactional. We give because we think we're gonna get something from someone. We give with the expectation that we will receive the same or more, or even the way humans treat one another, right? Subconsciously, unconsciously, 
relies on some sort of system of supremacy, internalized bias or whatever. And then the second thing that I came, that I was thinking of is, you know, today and or this year, this year, as I told you already, it's a lover's year. So I've been thinking mm. about all these concepts. Yay. <laughs> and I've been doing these meditations. I realized at the beginning of the year, I did not center love at, like basically at all last year. Like I did not center love, like love was not something in my being. And I've been doing these heart activating meditations that involve like opening up the chakra in the heart that some healers call the God spot. Basically this idea that like, this is the, I've heard of like the hole in the heart, the God shaped hole in the heart. Like, so it's like inviting in this energy of, of spirit of God of whatever you want to call it. And it's been very beautiful, you know, and, and I've been doing it almost every day. I've been falling off and I need to get back in it, but it's been like, oh, right. This is what changes when you spend even just like eight minutes a day, centering love, centering the heart space. Uh, there, there is a, there is a big energetic shift. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I, I thought about how there are people who give and and they want that to be love or like you, they're living and they think they're doing love, yeah. but they're not actually really reaching any heights in their love. And and they you could tell because the love isn't bringing healing to them and the love is not necessarily incorporating the type of giving necessary for it to be love. So it's sort of like a... a I think of it sort of like a miser, a rich person who holds on to all their money. And the only time they give is when like, okay, they're pretty much, everyone knows that they're not giving. So they have to give in order for it to work. It's sort of like, I'm having issues in my relationship. So I'm going to try to fix it by buying stuff for the other person. And that's such an outdated concept because it kind of works, but it doesn't, doesn't make the changes for the sustainability of the love. It's just temporary concepts. And then you realize that that's not real love. Like that's just a superficial version of it. And if anything is contributing actually to the harder times when you're struggling to find love, it's going to be even harder because not every time you could buy your way out of it or, 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 or give your way out of it. That's, that's ultimately just the middle of the spectrum of love. It's pretty amazing that the term for great love and the, the one that's sustainable and passionate and there, the, the type of love that we, that we yearn for, you know, that we dream about, that we have it and then we know we have to bring that, we have to conjure it up again. It's called in, in, uh, in the book called Atanya, this mystical book, it's called Ava Rabba, which can be, which is translated as great love. But Rabba is also in the Talmud sometimes used as teacher. So it's like the great teaching love, love that teaches and and teaching is a form of giving and receiving it's a form of like uh, exchange on on the highest and deepest level the greatest teachers have the most uh, great exchange of of energy where the student feels uplifted and the teacher feels like they're learning like that's 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 teaching and learning that's that's a that's why in hebrew lamod and lamed is the same three letters to teach and to learn mean the same exact thing because they really are one and the same experience and hence the the love element to that. So there's this um, there's this idea that to bring love back, the it has to become a form of giving that like is you came up with the idea. You're like, wow, I realized that giving is gonna is gonna help me realize that that I have such a great role to play in this love, and that's a whole different source. You can't do that without first healing yourself. Like, what's holding me back from really loving? It's like, why why am I not really a giver? Probably I'm asking so much for myself because I have so many needs and and I want this person to fill my needs or the world to fill my needs. And you're like, I, we want to, but we can't yet until you accept that this is who you are. And like that takes the initial love. You have to give yourself some slack. Like I didn't totally make my life this way. There were a lot of forces that created to this. So this is this like um, just by you realizing like, I'm sure you had love last year, but the idea that you feel like it didn't create the seeds that you think love should create. It didn't create the connection just means that like, yes, you were really going through more of self-love and healing. And now it's time to shift into that giving side 
of, of, of love and expand it so we can get to Avaraba, the love of teacher, the love of more, the sustainable one, the one that you feel the, 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 the synergy happening. Where, where are we, Romy? Where are we going with this? <laughs> no, I was thinking, because I initially said it's giving and receiving. You know, it's like, but I, I noticed your emphasis on the giving. And I was like, where's the receiving? You're not talking about that as much. But I think like a modern dilemma. And for me, I know my receiving love is way harder than giving it. And I feel like in today's society, people, from what I notice in my sphere is like people talk about it's hard to receive love. And I think that comes from what you said about healing yourself. Like you have to love yourself in order to receive it. Like you have to feel worthy, which for me is my, like my work right now is that, you know, that's like, I'm so amazing at giving love, but to receive it because it's linked to the self-worth, which is linked to this healing thing you spoke about. So that's what came up for me just then. I, I so identify with what you're saying. I'm, I don't know if I have a problem receiving love, but I think that I've learned through this learning, literally like these, these are these passages I learn regularly because they really talk to me. And I know love is a, something that, you know, I, I don't feel like I've reached any pinnacle, even with all the love in my life. And, and I would just say to you, really to myself in, in this regard, that this, the self-love that, that, that is, that, and the healing that we need in order to receive love has to do with expanding ourselves without preconditions. Like imagine you expand your, your mind to say that I don't have to expand it with new ideas and new people or new energy. I have to expand myself to include my self-love. I'm like, I have not included it in, in my own self. Like you have a power to not have to be anyone else in the world. <laughs> and then on top of that, you have a power to be able to love yourself. But those two are very, they're very linked, right? They're very linked to like mm -hmm. say that I'm not like anyone else and therefore I could love myself. And and that takes um that takes like a type of self-acceptance that doesn't happen if you don't accept like everything about you. It's a, it's something I I feel comfortable telling Jewish people like. You don't accept your Judaism enough and it's holding you back from loving. And they're like, what does that have to do with loving? Like, well, because it's a part of you and, you're, and you don't fully embrace that as a part of you. So there's a part of yourself that you're not embracing. So maybe the answer is to find what are things that I'm not embracing that I think I am, I say I am, but I actually am not embracing that fully. And maybe that'll open up for you to receive things that you want and that you have not been able to receive. And this is... This is this giving and receiving type of thing. It could start by giving and then you start activating like, wow, that's me who's giving. I, I have what to give. So, I, 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 but I do feel you pretty deeply about that. Like, I think receiving love for us is very, very hard. And, uh, and that's why I started off that the first level of love is healing because mm -hmm. it's going to leave us with a lot of work. But if you can't receive love is what you're giving even love? Well, let's look at it like this. Take take um take a a child. A child naturally loves. And that love that it has when it gets older, it's going to find out that it wasn't real. Why not? Because you were born to these circumstances and you were born into this home that you were able to feel love and and it could play all this cynicism on you. But the truth is, it's actually not real either. The only thing real is that when a child is born, they, they love and they celebrate and they're happy and they're expansive. And that is something that is called, in, in, in Hebrew terms, that's called inheritance. The deep-seated in Jewish belief is that human beings actually are loving and happy naturally. That's actually at their core state. And it's only the cynicism of, of my reality as it comes to the hard work it takes to be successful in your life, the effort it takes to cultivate your talents, to, to find your place in the world, to make your own identity, to, to take your life in your own hands. That requires tremendous effort. And with that effort, you then have to ward away negativity and competition and competing interests, and which create such a hostile environment for that, that so much so that you think that that love was just because of naivete. 
And But in reality, that love is not naivete. It's real because that's how you born and came out and expressed. So that that love is really something that was DNA ancestrally given to you. It literally is part of you. And the first step to reopening yourself to great love is meditating on that there's a natural love that you were born with. And literally an ancestral love given to you, the best parts of your ancestors are given to you too, not just the traumas. And, and, and that part is a natural love that, that, that is yours. We say literally in, 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 uh, in mysticism, it says inheritance from the first Jew, the mother and father who lived in perpetual love for being uh, somebody to recognize their creator before they knew there was going to be a movement. Abraham and Sarah just said, we're living with love that we want to have. Everybody who walks by our tent, join us for dinners. We want to open up our homes. We just want to live a life fully expansive and in love, no matter what the world brings at us. We call that that like deep-seated love, something that was given to us, that we have, that we are born with. And hopefully other cultures can feel that they have that type as well, because that's where you rebuild your love from. You rebuild it from being able to meditate on it being yours naturally, that it's part of your structure. It's not an added thing that you need to deserve or that you need to come to. Yes, the great level of love, Ava Rabba, well, you got to have to earn that. <laughs> that you're going to have to work for again. But the, there is a natural love that is the first building block that is totally natural to you. And that's the, that's the origin of, of the meditation on love is to start from, it's healing to know that it's part of you, these good things or these expansive things or these feelings of love, that they're real. Let's, we, I think there's a lot to think about here, <laughs> so I'm not gonna, not gonna hammer it anymore. But I, um, in in uh, in in the state in in, in self love work, um, it, the four steps are are natural love, then natural discipline. That, and, and this is I think I think for people who are very sunk into to like that the prime prime. Uh, initiator of the human spirit is survival, which is not me. I'm not into that. But when they say that, e even the love, it's only to perpetuate the species or, or survival. It's to, to protect yourself from alligators biting you at the riverbanks or something like that. But, but ultimately for me, it's, 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 it's about growth, not about survival. It's about like becoming something, fulfilling your full potential, like a flower needing to be the colors that it has within it, or, 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 or a butterfly having to do its cycle. It's as tough as it is, they know there's a full version of the story that they need to reach. It's like within their fiber of being that they need to reach the highs and lows of relationships and, and, uh, and, and fulfill their nature. And when you start seeing that you, first your love is in your nature and then your discipline to have the boundaries and to, 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 to allow somebody else to see your love and also for you not to overwhelm life and, and that, that ability. Uh, the Baal Shem Tov, the first great Hasidic master, called it, called it the two wings of a person, that they can't just have one wing of love. They also have to have the wing of discipline, which is boundaries, the boundaries that one needs for love to really be. So you begin by, I have a natural love, and I also have natural boundaries. It's not shame every single time uh, a kid is, is, uh, wakes up and is like, I'm naked, or, or I don't like the way you look. It's not shame. It's, there are boundaries. You're seeing me somewhere where I'm not, I, don't, I haven't fully understood where I am right now. So because I don't fully understand it, I don't really want to showcase it. Those are natural uh, desire for boundaries. And maybe even deeper, it's the desire for a home and for a space where I could just think about things without having to constantly react, which is what happens in the outside world. Then the next layer is, so that's one and two, is these two wings of love and, and, uh, and boundaries. The second layer of that, or the more mature layer of that, is actually first boundaries, then love. Like It's like when you're an adult, you don't start every relationship with love. You actually start them with boundaries. You start them with like, where do we meet? What is the meeting path between us two? And people want to skip that because they're in the orgasm age of humanity where we just, I want to, I want to right away go there. And it's like, hold up. 
what are the boundaries first? Like what are what are what are the natural boundaries that we're going to be crossing perhaps yeah. if we can if we can figure that out. And then you re, then you when you reach love after that, that's the that's tapping into or at least having a taste of the higher level of love. So it's love, boundary, boundary, love. Those are the four steps. So anytime you're like, okay, I'm struggling to receive love, rebuild it. Rebuild that like structure of like, okay, my love is my expansion. My boundaries are what enables me to be confident and strong. My higher boundaries are going to help me relate with others. And then I can once again be ready for love because I already cultivated that it's a natural experience. And I began this journey with it. I love that. Yeah, same. This is this is a big part of uh, the book. This book called Tanya, um, and um, I've been thinking so much recently of how to teach it again. Uh, years ago, when I first started being a rabbi, I was teaching it just the, from the text, and I found like it became very very hard to move forward because you're explaining the text the whole time and you have a less time to focus on the ideas. Now I'm doing forest from the trees, trying to focus on what are the core concepts. And, and then we'll go back to the text when it's time. And, and, and somebody asked me recently about doing a class with text. And I was like, I'm not really sure um, text-based learning is, is the future for my community. Um, I think now it's the concepts. Um, so um, I wanted to share, but I did, but I'm saying all this because I actually wanted to share a text with you. <laughs> uh, just a, a quick text here. I thought it was, it, it doesn't at first seem to be what we're talking about, but then but then it really is. And it's from, um, it's from a Mishnah. Mishnah was the first written down code of Judaism, uh, Mishnah Kedushin. And it goes like this. It says, Reb Meir says, a person should always teach his child a clean and easy trade and pray for success to the one to whom wealth and property belong, as ultimately there is no trade that does not include both poverty and wealth. Since a person can become rich from any profession, poverty does not come from a particular trade, nor does wealth come from a particular trade, but rather all is accordance with the person's merit. Therefore, one should choose a clean and easy trade and pray to God for success. So I'm thinking about this text because this text is attached to another text. You would think, okay, this text is advice. You know, teach, teach your child to, to stop being so focused on work for money and instead focus on work that you can actually achieve its goals or that you're inspired by or that works for you. And then because wealth or, not, or, not, or, or lack thereof or poverty is not necessarily always in your hands. And I was like, well, that's actually even more for our generation, which we're definitely generation of abundance. You know, like we have no reason for there to be starving people in this world. Just that idea in itself is what a credible amount of abundance. And what should we do when there's abundances? People should, what does merit mean? Merit doesn't mean like I did something to earn something. Merit means that like I'm doing the things that I'm good at and therefore I merit to see the fruits of my labor because they're from all of the, uh, it's not, it's not, I merit to get things is I merit to experience things. I merit like, that's a whole different shift that Ramey saying, like your kids will merit to appreciate their life. If you get them an education that fits services them who they are. What, so what, what was the next rabbi's response to that? Very cryptic. So Rabbi Shimon ben Elezer says, have you ever seen a beast or a bird that has a trade and yet they earn their livelihood without anguish? But all these were created only to serve me, and I, a human being, was created to serve the one who formed me. So what inspired this next rabbi was, was that I was, I was born, I was created to serve a purpose. And this idea that I was created to serve a purpose is really a concept of love. Like the higher level of love is when after you created this idea that you have love within you, and then you started working on those boundaries, both internally and externally, and then you get to love again, you realize that real love, how do you know if you could find real love, right? Because in that higher level, then you start to have to ask yourself, is this the real love I'm looking for? And the answer is, is that if you see your service of giving here, that you could give all the way, you can give your whole life to this person, 
that's how you know that you're starting to reach that higher level of love. And that's really the, the idea here to say, I serve my creator. Serving my creator just means that I can, I'm in love with my life. That's what it really means. It doesn't mean I'm in servitude and I'm a slave. It means that I am in love and therefore I'm in a constant state of service, of giving. And that's the highest level of love. And that's something that we aspire to more than anything. It's not something that uh, is necessarily ours. We have to real have deep inspiration for that. It's almost like an outside source of inspiration needs to uplift you in order for that to happen. So that's really what happened in our Purim story. In this Purim story, this every year we still do this half a dollar, the half a shekel, representing the original one. I do it with my kids on Purim. I give them each. I try to get the half silver dollars that they should like. They, they used to sell to get them at the banks, fifty cent uh, uh, um, coins, these silver coins, like that they should put that in charity, but the, and then explain them that this is what it means to solicit inspiration back to yourself is doing love through giving. Lots to think about. I, I, I love mean, to think about it. I mean, I, lo I like it, but I don't still, I don't know where the like wings of discipline come in with this idea of just like totally giving freely, like, that's just something I have to meditate on. I don't think, like, I love, I love the idea of lo the wings of like, their like boundaries, discipline, you know, it's not just like a free for all, um, which is very Piscean, of course, not the discipline or the boundaries, but the like expansive, <laughs> all encompassing love. But I wonder, like, I don't know, it's just hard for me to think of, it felt like you were saying like, self-sacrifice or something. So I just have to negotiate that a little bit more. Hmm. Like I would never, like I, like I overgave and overgave and overgave for so much of my life that now I'm like, I don't even really know what I will like never do it again. I gave a lot. I, I resonate with that. I, especially early when I uh, became a rabbi, I thought I had to give to everyone all the time, and and then I and then I'd feel so exhausted and used and all types of feelings, and I and I and I didn't even associate it, uh, didn't associate it with that because I'd be like, what do you mean that was love? I was giving, and it took it took a it took a a lot of a lot of work of this practice for me to realize that. Um, I was setting boundaries in the wrong places, my discipline. And that's why I call it a discipline because like a discipline has to consider where the right place to do discipline is. Like, you know, you, you're like, I'm going to take a discipline and go on this diet or this diet. It may not be right for you. And, yeah. and you're actually causing more harm. That's not a discipline. That's a, that's, that's, that's a destruction. So, you know, this is like, what is the opposite of love in a positive? Like, what is the counterbalance to love? What is the second wing? And, and I think the best word I have for it is boundaries because that's, yeah. that's where that's, that's the space I create that I could have that love. And, and it is fascinating to know that if you gave that much, we all have for lack of better term, pro bono elements to our life where we're like, we have to give there, but, yeah. but that can't be the core of your giving. The core of your giving has to be the one balanced with your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it's sustainable. And, and you won't have real healing without that sustainability and you won't have the real capacity to give your whole life. There are amazing people who get burnt out and you're like, how could us so many awesome people get burnt out? They're awesome. We need them so much. Yeah. And, and so, so people are very readily um, open to taking from you, but, but we can't, we can't control others. We just have to create those bigger boundaries and, and sometimes that boundaries can come across to others as like you're being exclusive or, or you're, or you're, um, that matter, like, uh, you know, assimilate, open yourself up. Like for Jews, it's like, what are our boundaries as Jews? You know what I mean? I think it's a tough conversation. We're so giving, we want to make the world better and we want to, we want our tikkun olam, repair the world. But like, but what are our boundaries? Like what, where do we retain our, our, our journey as Jews? Like where, where is it personal? And not just about giving, like 
Those are, there are two sides to that too. And if it's just about making the world a better place, then it doesn't encompass the whole Judaism at all. It doesn't encompass you. It's just uh, uh, an idea. And then I'll go, I like other ideas. They, you know, that, that work. So this generation's job is to, is, is just as much the boundaries as it is the love because they're really attached to one another. There's this great quote I love by the like activist and writer Prentice Hemphill. And the quote is boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me. It's really beautiful. That I think encapsulates a lot of this. Wow. Yeah. Right. Any final words, Romy? Um, no, this all is, I mean, I'm, you know, as someone in like 12 step world, all the principles of 12 steps is about this. It's like boundaries, um, being of service. It's just, yeah. So it's like, I hear this stuff a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, I bless you to, um, receive great love and, <laughs> and to, and to, and to feel both the natural love and the great love. And that in all the experiences of, of our collective lives over the last 40 some odd years collectively here should amount to having greater integration of our ideas into our lives. Cause there's so many of these great ideas, like we're inspired by them, but so sometimes they don't integrate in the way they could. So that's my blessing uh, for being 40 now to, to the people in my life is for more integration of, of, of our best and, and deepest ideas that we experience. Yes. Thank you so much, Parrots. I so, I feel so blessed by you and I'm so glad you're here and thank you for modeling so much. And I'm just always really inspired by our time together. Yeah, thank you, Parrots. And thank you both for understanding switching yeah, I mean, uh, pleasure. Yeah. I, I'm excited for our monthly uh, uh, together and um, so hopefully in a few months we'll even get together. So, I would love that. I would really yeah. love that. happen soon. Cool. Yeah. Lila Tov, guys. Thank you. Lila Tov. Lila Tov. Bye. Bye. Thank you.